Can you think of a crazier show on TV than that show right there? I mean, I remember when this show first came out, I was a young man, and I mean, back then it was, you know, like solving word puzzles and answering questions in the form of questions. And then this show hits the TV and it's like, man, I mean, can you just imagine yourself in that scenario, in that situation? Pretty crazy to think about. And although, you know, when we watch shows like that, when we think about fear, think about the idea of fear in our lives, we watch stuff like that, and sure, it might put some hair on the back of our neck standing up. In fact, some of you might still be kind of heebie-jeebie if you don't like snakes. But honestly, there is actually fear in our lives that actually is more crippling than that fear we just saw right there. This day-to-day fear that we face that is ultimately something that cripples us in our, in our walk in life. I couldn't think of a better word this week than the word crippling. Uh, it was kind of cool how God gives you illustrations. You know, sometimes the Lord will just put something in your heart and in your head, and other times he'll actually make you an illustration, which is pretty cool. So Thursday, um, I'm finished up with my outline, ready for this message, and uh, God was just speaking to me, and I decided, you know, I've got about 10 days left before our team leaves for Nepal, and uh, I kind of do what you, some of you guys do when you go on vacation, right before vacation, like the week before, you start doing sit-ups and push-ups to try to get in shape for the vacation. I know you do it. It's all right. Everybody does it a little bit. So I thought, okay, let me get in some shape here. Let me get some running going. So on my lunch break, I thought even, even that's pretty cool. You know, doing it on your lunch break, you know, it's like, hey, you should get extra points for that. On my lunch break, I decided to go for a run in my neighborhood. And so I'm running along doing my thing. And you can tell I don't do it very often because of this, but um, (laughs) I'm running and All of a sudden, man, my foot does something it's not supposed to do. It kind of bends this way. And all of a sudden, I find myself airborne. You know the feeling, right? Not jumping airborne that you're controlling. Airborne that you have no control over. And I'm literally horizontal in the air, and it sets in. It sets in for all of us, right? That feeling of panic, that feeling of fear of, hmm, I wonder how this is going to end, right? Something bad is probably gonna happen and there's this fear that just kind of hits us. You know why that is? Because fear is a natural response. Like it's a natural response. No one has a fall like that and on the way down says, yippee, it doesn't happen, right? It's a natural response that we feel. Fear fear is a natural response. And although it's a natural response, and although the initial feeling of fear is not sinful, what we choose to do with our fear is pivotal in our lives. It changes the way we think about life. And the Bible is not silent on this issue of fear. In fact, if you look in Scripture, all throughout the pages of Scripture, 189 times the command to fear not, fear not, is in the Bible 189 times. There's places in the Old Testament, places in the New Testament that talk about fear. And Jesus himself addresses the issue of fear. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 It's interesting how God's really kind of put these messages together the last few weeks. Um, We're in this series called Game Changer, if this is your first Sunday. And it's really this whole idea that there are game changer moments in our lives. There are game changer 
thoughts in our lives, something comes into our life that's a game changer for us. It's like once we hear this, once we apply this, it changes our lives. And so we've been talking about these game changer moments the last few weeks, and it's kind of cool because even last week, we were in the Sermon on the Mount. We were talking about this Sermon on the Mount. In fact, if you took that famous message of Jesus you could pretty much say almost everything talked about in that, in that message is a game changer, is a bunch of little game changer moments. And so Jesus is, is doing that. He's, he's talking about, we talked about this last week, he's talking about this idea of not living in the norms of this world, right? Not living where everyone else lives, not living in this common area, but instead living in the uncommon area, living above the fray, living above what the world does, living up here, that there's a better life up here in the uncommon, right? And so we believe that as a church, we believe that's what Jesus was sharing. And in this passage, Jesus addresses the fear that we all face, a fear that's, that's, that's something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, that the most common and everyday fear we face is worry. The most common fear we face is worry. It's right there in your introduction. He knows, Jesus knows this, that it's not really the boogeyman or even climbing into a pile of snakes that's, that really gets us. I know that's kind of a scary moment to think about, but here's the thing. Jesus knows that there is something that's far more crippling. It's the day-to-day fear that we deal with every day. That fear that's called worry. The fear of worry. That's what we're dealing with. And what we choose to do with this common fear of worry drastically affects our attitude and it drastically affects our outlook on life. It changes, it, it, it affects what we think about life and our attitude towards that. And here's the thing, it not only affects us, it affects generations to come. This is true in our family, man. I, I think about the things that I worry about, the things that I fear, and here's what I found to be true. If I vocalize that out in my house and my kids happen to hear that, I'll start noticing that they're starting to fear some of the same things that I fear. It's the same with my wife, Crystal that the things that me and my wife fear and that we project out, that we vocalize out in our household, that we found that our own kids are starting to fear that. And if you look at generations, you can, you maybe, maybe you're a grandparent in here and maybe you kind of see that play out, that the fears that you face, the daily worries of life that you face, your kids face, and now your grandkids are facing it. And so we have a responsibility to know what to do with our fear, what to do with the daily fear that we come in contact with. So we all deal, we all face this common day-to-day fear of worry. And Jesus addresses it here in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 25. And he starts the conversation about worry with four, four words that we cannot miss. These are very important words. Listen to what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, therefore, I tell you. Now, he's about to go into a big spiel on on worry. He's about to go into a big spiel on fear and what that looks like. But before he does that, he gives us these four words, and these four words are connected to what he said before. That's what the therefore 
is there for. He's saying, hey, before we move on, look at what I've just said, all right? Look at what I've just said. I've just said some things. And if you look in verses 19 through 24, we don't have time to read through it, you can see what he's talking about. He's talking about corruptible things and incorruptible things. He's saying, hey, don't store up for yourselves incorruptible things or corruptible things. Store up for yourselves incorruptible things, things that will last for eternity. He's saying, talking about light and dark in verse 22 and 23. He's like, don't be in darkness, be in light. And then he ends that little passage there in verse 24. He says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve stuff. Mammon's the word that some of your Bibles have. You can't serve stuff and God. You can only serve one or the other. And so you have these things there in those verses, incorruptible treasure, eternal things, not eternal things. You have light and you have darkness and you have God and you have stuff. And he's basically trying to connect this stuff with our fears. He's saying, hey, how you choose between these things has a profound impact on what you will fear. And this is our first point, and you can't miss this because this is like the, the bottom bedrock of the whole message, that our fear corresponds to our devotion, that our fear corresponds to our devotion, that the things that we fear the most, the things that we worry about and are about the most, that those things are connected to what we are devoted to. And I'll illustrate this for you. And for some of you, you're not gonna wanna hear this coming from a pastor and it's gonna sound kind of insensitive, but I'll just say it, okay? It's tough. Guys, I am not worried about your job. Like, I know that sounds really insensitive. I, I'm not worried about your job. Like, I don't, you know, you might come to me and say, hey, um, can you pray for me about this? And I will definitely pray for you. I'll, I'll be concerned, I'll care for you on that. But here's the thing, guys. I will probably, I won't, I won't lose one ounce of sleep worried about your job, okay? I know, that's insensitive, stay with me. Ladies, mothers, I'm not worried about your kids' grades. Oh, I know, that's, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, like, man, I am not worried about that. Like, I love your kids. Like, I love, you know, the kids that come over to our house, play with our kids and, and all the little friendships and buddies and all that stuff. And like, I go over to MMO and see those kids a lot during the week and stuff. And I love kids. And if you come to me and say, hey, Jonathan, will you please pray for my kid? He's got this test coming up. He's got this paper coming up. In fact, as a student pastor back in the day for, you know, nine years, I kind of did that. There were students that would come up and say, hey, could you pray for me about this, this course or this grade or this class? And we prayed about it. And I truly did care. But you know what? I never once worried about your kids' grades. I'm not, I'm not, here's the other thing. I'm not worried about your retirement. John, I'm not worried about your retirement, man. I have never lost one hour of sleep thinking and worrying about your retirement. And I know that sounds insensitive. I mean, I hope it goes well for you. Those of you, for, you know, looking to retire soon, I hope it goes well. I hope financially, you know, it works out for you. And if there is a financial crisis, you know, our church is here to pray for you, to support you, and we will be there for you. But I don't worry about those things. I care about those things in your life, but I don't worry about them. And you know why? Because I'm not devoted to those things. The principle here is that my fear 
is tied to the things that I'm most devoted to. And the things in your life that you fear and that you worry about, those are the things in your life that you are most devoted to. We gotta get this principle because it lays it out for everything. We're gonna come back to that. Look at the other thing here though. Our common fear, our fear, our worry, our day-to-day worry, look at what it does. Our fear cartoons our future. In fact, all fear is based about the future. It's based in a potential unknown that's out there. And some of you are like, that's the craziest word I've ever heard to define anything. Cartoons, our future. I actually had one of our staff members look it up to make sure I was using it in a legitimate sense. But look at the definition for a cartoon. An illustration showing the features of its subjects in a humorously exaggerated way, that fear has the ability to take the uncertain and cartoon it up to something exaggerated. And Jesus knows this. He he begins by saying in verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're gonna put on, what you're gonna wear. Jesus is here talking about the most common fears of that day. So I want you to picture this in your mind. He's on the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's got all these people listening to him. And all of these people coming from all different walks of life, all different classifications, the common fear for those people is three things. Am I gonna eat today? Am I gonna have clean, drinkable water? It's not talking about like Pepsi or Coke. It's talking, hey, am I gonna have water to sustain my life? And am I gonna be able to have clothing? Am I gonna be able to accommodate myself, not in any particular kind of clothing? Am I just gonna be able to have something to wear to to take care of me? The problems that he's talking about here, the worries of these people are not what we would consider first world problems, right? I mean, I look at this list and I think, well, hey, if that's the case, then I'm good, Jesus, I don't worry. (laughs) Because I've never worried about any three of those things. I mean, and, and really, for the most part, you probably haven't either. I mean, this played out just this week. Like just this week, Christian comes into my office and we, we do this every week. You know, he comes in the office and Wes is normally with him and he says, hey, you wanna go eat somewhere? Sure, let's go. I mean, it's not even a thought, right? We get to the restaurant and what is it? It's like, all right, we're gonna eat. I never once worry, am I gonna eat or am I gonna have food? In fact, if I skip the meal or miss the meal, I've not lost anything either, right? These are not first world problems. But here's, what the, here's where the worry comes in for us in, in our circle here in good old America. My worry is not whether I'm going to eat or not. We went to Verona's Wednesday. You wanna you know what my worry was? My worry was the pickle. Yeah, that's right. My worry was the pickle. You wanna know why my worry is the pickle? Because the pickle is the nastiest food on planet Earth. It's disgusting. It ruins anything it touches. And if you don't believe that, that's okay. You can be wrong. But here's the thing. I get to the restaurant. We're sitting there and we have a new waiter. And here's what my worry was. My worry wasn't that I wouldn't have food. I've never went without a meal that I didn't need. My worry, yeah, I, I changed that. My worry was, well, I hope she doesn't put that pickle on my plate. 
Because if she puts the pickle on the plate and it touches the sandwich, the sandwich is gonna be ruined. It's gonna taste like pickle. If she touches the fries, those, those fries are a casualty. I'm not gonna be able to eat them. And I'm not just saying this in my head. You can ask Christian, you can, I promise you, he heard me speak this out, these very things. And I just finished the outline to this message. Here's the thing. We worry about some crazy things. And then we also worry about some important things as well. We worry about things that really, truly bother us. And so when we see this and we say, hey, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, don't worry about if you're gonna have something to drink, don't worry about clothing, we can replace that very easily. It's almost like Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying things like this. Hey, don't worry if your kids get in that school or not. Don't worry if you can retire well. Don't worry about staying single. Don't worry about not getting that job that you love. Don't worry about losing that job that you love. Don't worry about your weight, your looks. Jonathan, don't worry about the gray hairs coming in your beard. Don't worry. This is what Jesus says, and it sounds super insensitive to these people because these people need food. They need something to drink. And he's saying to them, hey, don't worry about your life. He's saying there's gonna be things in your life that are gonna work out great for you. Things that you're gonna be like, wow, that's awesome. Glad it worked out the way I wanted it to. And there's gonna be a bunch of other things that don't work out the way you want them to work out. But Jesus is saying here, regardless, don't worry. The point is not that these things aren't important. Okay, the pickle thing's not important, but the things that are in our life, there's a lot of worries in our life that, they are important things to think about, to be concerned about. But the thing is, these things in our life, the thing that, that connects them is this level of uncertainty. And that's really what our fear is based out of. It's based out of this idea of uncertainty. And Jesus is saying here, hey, you can face, there is a way to face uncertainty and the future tomorrow without fearing today. Someone once said that worry is the fear of tomorrow experienced today. That whenever we are anxious, whenever we're fearful, we are upset in the present about some event which may happen in the future. May happens the key word. And two ways this works out in our life, two ways that we kind of cartoon our future up. The first way is this, this phrase called analysis paralysis. I did not make this up. I took this from another pastor from back in 2003, but it was good, good material. Analysis paralysis. Look at what that is. It's making fear larger than the circumstances. Making fear larger than the circumstances. Think about the way a scientist analyzes something biological. What is his tool of trade? The microscope, right? He's gonna take that microscope. He's gonna take a small portion of whatever it is he's analyzing. He's gonna stick that small portion under the microscope and he is going to magnify it a big amount. It's gonna be all he sees in that microscope. And that's great for scientists. That's terrible for worriers. But this is what we do. We make our fear larger than the actual circumstances we're facing. I was driving in this morning. It's so cool how God kind of works out your illustrations. I was driving in this morning and right here in this field back here was fog. 
which blows my mind because I'm thinking, how is there any moisture in the air for fog? But literally, I'm driving by, I come up here to the church office, and this whole big field and woods back here is just slam full of fog. Fog's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, it always amazes me how fog works. Did you know that one square mile of fog, like let's try to get an idea of that. One square mile would be, as far as distance goes this way, would be Big Lots down here. If you're a college student, you can ask someone later where Big Lots is, but it's down here. Big Lots to Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is our point of reference all the time, right? Chick-fil-A to Big Lots, and we're kind of in the middle of that square mile. So imagine you're driving your car, and all of a sudden you hit that square mile of fog. And man, it's thick, like thick, thick fog. You know how much water is in one square mile of fog? It's pretty crazy. It's 600 billion water droplets. And in that square mile of fog, the content of actual water is this, a bottle. And for some of us, man, we treat our circumstances the same way. We take something in our lives that compared to eternity is not that big and we make it enormous. Analysis paralysis, it paralyzes us. That fear paralyzes us. The other way that we cartoon our future is called scenario sickness. Scenario sickness is the fact that many of us will run when we're fearful, when we're worrying, we will run every possible scenario through our heads, through our minds. It'll be the thing that keeps us up. This is called what if worrying, right? I mean, that we're just sitting around thinking of all these what if, what if she says this? Well, what if he does this? Well, what if he, this doesn't happen? Or what if that happens? And for a lot of us, we'll speculate every possible outcome, and sometimes we'll even speculate absolutely ridiculous, impossible outcomes. But for us, man, when we are tied down to worry, and this is what we do, we cartoon our future, and that leads to something. When this happens, our fear, our worry clouds our perspective. It's like that fog we were just talking about there. That fog we're talking about, we see, we begin to see things in our life poorly because we have made this fear like this giant cloud that's in our lives. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this is what fear does. So look at what he says in verse 25, the second part of it. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's he doing here? He's trying to refocus People. He's trying to get them the better perspective. For us, it's like saying, hey, is not life more than retirement? I mean, I know you're putting away money, but does, does life really equal retirement? Does life really equal money? Does life really equal, is not life more than your kids? And there's no offense to kids, but I hope it's not just about the kids because one day they're not gonna be there. But for some of us, man, these are the things we've created life to be. And when we really start to think about it, we're like, you know, life is not just that. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to get you to refocus and reshape your perspective on life. Is not life worth, is not life more than even your health. You know, I know when I say that, I think, man, that, uh, that sounds kind of insensitive. 
Because for some of you right now, or maybe you know someone whose health is just absolutely awful. And and health is a fickle thing, but, but here's the truth. When you really look at that, man, life is so much more than good health. Life is so much more. Jesus actually gave them something there that is very basic. Is not, life not more than food? Well, you need food to survive. But he's saying, hey, even your main survival needs, life is more than those things. He's trying to refocus for us to gain a bigger perspective on what we're dealing with. It goes back to that illustration. He's saying, hey, this is where most people are living, this common area where everyone has these common fears, these common worries, and they're in this giant cloud that they can't get out of. And he's saying, hey, let's get you out of the common and up here, above the cloud where you can see clearly what's going on. And this is what happens though. Our fear, our fear does this. It clouds our perspective. And when that happens, when we cartoon our future and when we cloud our perspective with our worry, There are two things, two results of that. A life that's marked with these two things. The first thing is this, that our fear eventually, man, it crushes our contentment. It crushes our contentment. That really, if you look at the opposite of fear and the opposite of worry, it's contentment. You're either content or you're worried. This is kind of what we see here in Scripture, that people who live discontented lives typically are people that are worriers. And you can probably spot them a mile away, and if you can't spot them, you might be this person. But discontented people, have you ever noticed? Discontented people are negative people. It's almost like you can go outside and say, hey, it's nice that the sun's shining today. We haven't had rain in a month. It's too hot for September. I mean, you you could literally take anything. You could be at Disney World and find something to complain about. You could be at the Bahamas and find something to complain about. It's literally these people that anything that's in their world, because their perspective is so clouded, everything is negative. And you know what they're doing when they're spewing that negativity? or, Or maybe it's you. You know what you're doing when you're spewing that negativity? You are giving people a commentary of your fears. You are giving them vocally what you're worried about in life. And man, our fear crushes that contentment. And so Jesus begins these next few verses. He's gonna share with us several things, several reasons why we can be content, why we don't have to worry about life. And look at what he says in verse 26. First thing is is this. This is the first reason, that, that God owns everything. A reason that we can be content, the first reason is that God owns everything. Look at what he says in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Like, that's such a funny statement. He's basically said, hey, you know, I know you're starving. Don't worry about your food. I know you're having a hard time finding water. Don't worry about that. I know your clothes are raggedy and falling apart. Don't worry about your clothes. Just look at the birds of the air. I mean, how insensitive would that sound if you were sitting on that side listening to him preach that day? But this is what he says. He says, hey, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. This is like saying to us, hey, you know what? The birds, they don't have 401ks. They don't don't have a college degree. 
They aren't ultra protective about their kids. I mean, think about birds for just a minute. They literally build a nest as high in the tree as they can find. They have babies and two weeks later, they push them kids right out. See ya. I mean, imagine that parenting model, right? It's like, all right, Will, see ya. Jackson, two weeks, see ya. Zion, Zion's already gone. We know that's true. He's crazy, he's a wild kid. No, but think of how crazy that is. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, birds, they don't have elaborate plans. They don't have a budget. They, they, just, they just exist. They don't, they don't do any of the responsible things that you do. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I love that Jesus is the one saying this. Because we know, if you go read Colossians 1, we know that Jesus is actually the creator of the world. That's pretty cool. And by him, all things were made, that were made. Colossians, go read it, it's pretty cool. That Jesus is actually the creator. So Jesus is telling this story, looking at these birds, and in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I created those birds. I created the food that those birds eat. I even created all these people I'm talking to. And this is what's true about God, that Jesus not only creates the birds, he owns the birds. He doesn't only create the food, he owns the food. He doesn't only create us in his image, he owns us. That's pretty awesome when you think about it, that God owns us. He owns your bank account. He owns your kids. He owns your house. There was a pastor, John Wesley. If you ever studied anything about him, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, one day he was coming back from a speaking engagement and a guy met him halfway, like this messenger met him. And he says, hey, just so you know, this is great news. Like who would wanna go tell him this? Your house burned down. Awesome, that's great. You know what he said? This is amazing. No, it hasn't because it wasn't my house. It was just the house that I lived in and now it's one less thing for me to worry about. Can you just imagine for a minute being that content with life? How do you get there, man? Realizing that God owns it all. He owns all of these things. And if he owns these things, if he owns the birds and he owns you, man, how much more does he love you than he does a bird? Man, if he's gonna take care of a bird that he owns, how much more will he take care of us? Are we not more valuable than a bird? Second, God not only owns everything, he controls everything. Look at verse 27, Jesus says, hey, which of you by being anxious, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? You know, Job, the guy Job in the Bible, the guy with all the heartache and trouble, he said something very true about God in Job 14. This is gonna be on the screen. Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Wow, that's encouraging. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. His days are determined and the number of his months is past, is, is with you. And you, God, have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Basically what Job is saying, and really what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6 is, hey, health and fitness, they can improve your quality of life and productivity and all of that, but they do not force God into extending our body's lifespan. That our days are appointed and numbered. And here's the thing, if we can't even control that, 
then man, why worry? He's saying here, hey, does fear really accomplish anything? If you don't really have ultimate control, what's fear really gonna accomplish in life? He's not saying here, hey, you know, don't be diligent. I mean, for some of us, we get this idea that we think that control equals contentment. I'll just, I'll just raise my hand. I think that sometimes. That is probably my number one thing that I struggle with. That I, if I'm discontent in something in my life, I think if I can just control it, I'll get more contentment. But this is not what scripture teaches here. He's saying, hey, contentment is found. Hey, when we do give our best, when we do try to fill out those college applications, when we do show up to work on time, when we do this and do that and, and be diligent and work hard and be a good father and be a, a great spouse. Yeah, there's, there's value in that. But there comes a point where you've done all you can do and contentment lies in saying, okay, Lord, you're really ultimately in control. You're the one that's controlling everything. This is where contentment is. Number three, God, another reason we can be content is that God provides everything. This doesn't mean God is going to give you everything. It means everything you have or will get has God's provided. So look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, kind of sounds like my grass at the house. Will he not much more clothe you? What he's saying here is, hey, if God's gonna provide for something as temporary as grass, can you not trust him to provide for you? And the point, the thing I love here is when he's talking, he uses the, the name Solomon, right? And with every Israelite at this time, that would have struck a chord with them because they knew who Solomon was. Solomon was the wealthiest king Israel ever had the wealthiest. He was also at the time probably the most powerful king in, in the whole known world at the time. He's basically saying, hey, I can provide, me, God, I can provide better than that guy. I can provide better for, than him. What he's trying to do here, he's trying to focus, refocus their attention of saying, hey, contentment does not lie in your provisions, contentment lies in trusting the provider. See, a lot of times we think, okay, if I can just get these provisions, if I, got, if I can get God to provide here and then here, oh, next week I got this over here. A year from now, I got this over here, this big goal over here. I need God to provide here. Man, when we are focused on those provisions, there's always this discontentment. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, focus on the provider, that this is where true contentment is found. This is where it means to live a life worry-free. But here's the thing, man. So many people, they don't get this. They don't understand this. They don't grasp this. They live a life of discontentment. And really what happens is as they live that life of discontentment, their fear, our fear, begins to crumble our faith. Our fear actually begins to crumble our faith. It erodes it. Jesus says this in the, verse, the end of verse 30. I love what he says. He says these, these few words here. He says, oh, you of little faith. You've worried about this. You've worried about that. Really, you are a person of little faith. 
And I think about the tone. A lot of times, you know, you read passages and you think, I wonder how Jesus said this. Did he yell it at him or did he say it gently? This is one of those times I think like, I'm thinking he's probably just kind of a gentle tone with him. He's saying, hey, look, why are you worrying about this? You're demonstrating such little faith. And you know, you think about the people he was talking to that day. He was talking to lost people for sure, but he was talking to a lot of followers, a lot of people that love Jesus, a lot of people that follow Jesus. His disciples were sitting right there. And, and what I think he's saying here is, hey, you've trusted me with some big things. Maybe he's saying this to you right now. You've trusted me with some big things. You just sang a song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You've trusted me with your eternity. Like I came to earth, I died for you. I, I took all of God's wrath upon me that should have been on you. I took all of that, I rose again. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm doing all of this on your behalf and you just trust me with that. Like you worship me with that, right? We sing songs about that and we believe that and we're excited about eternity with Christ. We can trust him so easily with that. And yet over here, oh, my day is going bad. It's like we can trust him with our eternity, but we can't trust him with today. That's what he's saying here. He's saying our faith has been eroded. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, the lost people, seek after all these things. You see, a fearful mindset is no different a fearful mindset is no different than the loss. Basically, what he's saying is when you worry this way, when you live out your life in this kind of sense and this kind of common fear, you're basically practicing atheism. You're basically acting as if there's no God or if there is a God, he's a fickle God. He's saying, don't live like that. This is a testimony to the people in your world that as a follower of Christ, you have a testimony in the way you handle your common fear, the way you handle your worry is a testimony to the world out there that we will either be seen as Christians who look more like atheists or we're gonna be seen as believers who are trusting in God. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, let's go from the common. Let's go from this common land that all these people live in and let's go up. Let's go from a common fear to an uncommon faith, to a faith that most people don't have, to a faith of saying, hey, I trust you not only with my eternity, I trust you with my day to day. What does that look like? Instead of our fear clouding our perspective, our faith will refocus our perspective. Look at verse 31, 31 again. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans seek after all these things. And notice what he says then. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Your heavenly father knows. Man, what a powerful thought right there. Imagine the thing that you're dealing with right now, the thing that is just consuming your mind, the thing that is hurting you, the thing that's bothering you the most. Imagine that right now, the thing that's keeping you up at night. And imagine, this is kind of far-fetched, but just imagine this with me. Imagine you go home tonight, and you're laying in bed and you're just thinking about that thing. And all of a sudden an angel appears and he has a message for you, two words. And all he says to you is, God knows, God knows, and then, he, and then he leaves. 
Not God's going to do this, God's going to fix this, God's going to make this, God's going to work this. No, all he says is, hey, God knows. Imagine how that would change your perspective just to know that. You see, a lot of times when we're in the fear, when we're in the worry, the thing that we need the most is to know that someone understands what we're feeling. For some of us, man, we are dealing with things that, that we don't feel like anyone can understand. And, and for some of you, maybe you are dealing with something that some, no one can understand. You know who understands? God. He knows. God knows about the house. He knows what's going on with the kids. He knows about your health, both physical health and mental health. And when we think this way, when we realize, hey, my perspective is God knows. God knows what's going on. And it changes us. It changes our perspective. Next, our faith redirects our devotion. We're going back to that principle we talked about earlier. Saying don't worry, think about this. Saying don't worry is like saying don't think about a pink elephant, all right? Are you thinking about a pink elephant right now? In fact, here, I'm gonna give you a chance. We're gonna count to three, and by the time we hit three, I want you to just completely clear your mind of pink elephants. Are you ready for this? One, two, three. Now, are you thinking about a pink elephant? Yeah, you know why? Because I told you not to think about a pink elephant and you can't stop thinking about a pink elephant. It's hard to not fixate on something when you are fixated on not fixating on it, right? It's easier said than done to just say, hey, don't worry. So what does Jesus do? Jesus does something amazing here. He says, hey, it's not about just stop worrying. He's talking about the idea of redirecting our devotion. We talked about this principle. If my common fear of worry corresponds to my devotion, then maybe what I'm devoted to needs to change. And this is what he says. This is the game changer. Uh, it's not the out outline yet, but this is kind of the game changer verse if you wanna put this in. Verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Lots of important things. God knows all about every one of them, but if your primary devotion is those secondary things you're gonna worry. God is saying we need to transfer our devotion from the common fear, the common worry, to the uncommon faith. How do we do this? He tells us the two things that we need to be focused on. First of all, the heavenly expectation, that God has an expectation for us as believers in Christ. Am I reproducing God's mission? You know how hard it is to worry when we're focused on the mission of God? The kingdom of God, it's not just the eternity kingdom, it's the kingdom of God right here on earth that we have a responsibility to be a part of. I, I, I'm, my friends Abraham and Kamala and Nepal, I'm just gonna be honest with you, I've never really seen him worry and I've been around him quite a bit. You know why? Because man, he's focused, he's focused on this mission that God has put him on. Am I reproducing God's mission? Am I making disciples? I think of Daniel Rice, I know he's in here somewhere, but man, this guy always, he's a missionary that we work with. He is always focused on this mission of reproducing God's mission. And man, when we're focused on that, it's really hard to be worried about other things. But it's not just this heavenly expectation. It's also this holy existence, this idea of am I replicating God's morality, that God has a standard of living for us. And when we're not living in holiness, 
when we're not following God's law for what is pure and right and holy, man, it's so easy to doubt. I remember as a student pastor, I don't mean to pick on you guys over here, but I remember as a student pastor, so many students coming to me over the years and saying, you know, I'm really doubting right now. I'm really fearful. I'm really worried I'm not saved. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And, and sometimes it really was, you know, like they need to give their life to Christ. You know what it was a lot of times though? It was that there was something in their life, some, some sin in their life where they weren't living out holiness. And because of that sin in their life, it caused this doubt. It caused this fear. That man, when we walk with Christ, when we walk with, in holiness to God and we walk on a mission and we walk in his morality, man, it starts to change us. It makes us focused on that and not focused on our common fear. When we are living on this higher plane and that's our concern, man, God's gonna work something out, man. God's gonna do amazing things. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Man, what an interesting verse, right? I wonder what he means by all these things. You know, you look in verse 31 and what does it talk about? It talks about food, it talks about drink and it talks about what we wear. So maybe he's talking about that, right? Here's the problem with that. And this is hard for us to see in our Christian American culture. Do you realize there are Christians all over the world and Christians that have come for years and years and years that have seeked after the kingdom of God and his righteousness and have died of starvation? People that have loved God, committed their lives to God and still live in poverty today. And some of them die living in poverty. Some of them die persecuted. So all these things added to you is not just talking about some physical blessing. It's not, hey, if I do this, God's gonna give me these physical things. No, it's not saying that. He's saying, hey, there is something better that you're gaining, these eternal gains. Something better, all these things added to you. It's, I find this interesting, and this is like a whole nother Bible study that we don't have time for, but man, go look this up, okay, because it's pretty crazy. Notice what Jesus says that they need. Food, drink, and clothing. That's what he identifies as their things. You know what's interesting about that? Jesus himself calls himself in John 6, he calls himself the bread of life. In John 4, he calls himself living water. In Matthew 22, he makes a parallel with this idea of being clothed in righteousness. You know what I believe this passage is referring to? It's not just physical needs being met. It's the fact that we get Jesus that we get an eternity with him, that that's the blessing that we get living a life worry-free and fear-free. That when these things happen, man, our faith redefines our future. Verse 34, he ends the passage, or he ends this little talk by saying this, therefore, do not be anxious. Do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, this sounds kind of negative, and this is not some careless idea that we just go out, grab our surfboard, and live for today's pleasures every day. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about this conviction of the child of God that knows tomorrow is in the hands of Jesus, that we are no longer slaves to fear, that we can have our future redefined it's not that the future changes, it's that our outlook, our perspective on the future can be changed to what God sees. That uncertainty can exist 
without fear. So what's the game changer this morning? What's the application? What is it that we need to take away for this morning? It's here. God is calling us to shift out of the common fear of worry into an uncommon faith in Jesus Christ. To go from common, what everyone else is dealing with and facing and worrying about and fearing about, and to step it up and say, hey, I'm gonna live in this uncommon faith with Jesus Christ. The result is a life that is filled with contentment and filled with joy. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in this moment of prayer, I just wanna ask you, man, what is it in your life that you're fearful of? Your fear determines, it really shows what you're ultimately devoted to. Are you chasing after the day-to-day? Are are you a person that says, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I love God, I, I have my eternity in him, and yet I struggle trusting him with just today. I believe he can die on the cross and conquer sin and death for me, but I don't know if he can figure out today. Man, God wants us to rise above that, to step out and say, hey, I'm not gonna live in the common fear of today anymore. I'm not gonna live in the common fear of this world. I'm going to live in the uncommon faith of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna ask uh, our ushers to come forward because right after this, we're gonna give you an opportunity to give. But let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that that this morning, God, as we think about just this idea of, of fear and faith, as we think about this idea of living in these moments where we worry, living in these moments that cripple us and, and really become our fear factor, the thing that bothers us, the thing that controls us, the thing that clouds our perspective. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that we could step out of that, Lord, that we would realize, Jesus, that you are enough. You are the provider. You own everything. You control everything. You provide everything, Jesus. Lord, we want to focus on you, our provision, not or our provider, not our provisions, Lord. Jesus, we want to live above these things, Father. We pray, Lord, that we can get our eyes off of the common fear and put it in the uncommon faith of your Son. Lord, we love you, Father. We thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. I pray, Lord, that we would, even through that, Lord, that we would seek your kingdom, Lord, through what we give and the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan.